Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Hello, beloved family. How are you doing? I'm coming to you today live, but audio only. We're on our way to um, fixing video and internet and all of that all around here in the country. But I'm so proud to be with you. And what I'd like to um, uh, bring to you today, if you haven't already read it, is the final pastoral letter from Bishop Joseph Strickland and Tyler. Um, I've mentioned the past few times that he wrote on August 22nd, uh, seven points to clarify certain truths that seem to be up for grabs at the Synod of Synodality. And of course, truth cannot change. Truth is Christ himself, and uh, we have the deposit of faith, um, and nothing can change from that. Things can develop, but the development does not change the truth. It has to be rooted in the truth. The development is just the expansion of how fully we understand it, how we apply it, all of that. But the truth cannot change. And so uh, Bishop Strickland has written, we've read so far, six letters to cover six of his points in the August 22nd letter. And this is the final one. Uh, Letter number seven, written two days ago. And um, on his final point from August 22nd, he says, My dear sons and daughters in Christ, it has been an honor and a joy to share some basic and essential truths of the Catholic faith with you through this series of pastoral letters. Today I would like to discuss the seventh and final truth that I listed in my pastoral letter of August 22nd, 2023. Quote, In order to follow Jesus Christ, we must willingly choose to take up our cross instead of attempting to avoid the cross and suffering that our Lord offers to each of us individually in our daily lives. The mystery of redemptive suffering, that is, suffering that our Lord allows us to experience and accept in this world and then offer back to him in union with his suffering, humbles us, purifies us, and draws us deeper into the joy of a life lived in Christ. That is not to say that we must enjoy or seek out suffering, but if we are united to Christ as we experience our daily sufferings, we can find the hope and joy that exists amidst the suffering and persevere to the end in all our suffering. Second Timothy chapter 4. The question, Bishop continues, of why suffering is woven into our human existence has preoccupied and perplexed humanity since the dawn of history. Suffering seems to be a great mystery. And when we are in the midst of it, we might ask, why does it have to be this way? Why does God allow us to suffer if he loves us? The ultimate answer to these questions is this, free will. God created us, he loves us, and he wants the very best for us in every way. He wants us to live forever in heaven with him, 
in a loving relationship. However, to be in an eternal loving relationship with him, we have to accept his love and then choose to love him back because love is only possible if one has a choice to love or not to love. God, who is love, will not force us to love him and spend eternity with him against our will because that would not be love. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, chose to disobey God and act contrary to love, and thereby sin and death were introduced into the world. As the Catechism of the Catholic Church states, quote, man tempted by the devil, let his trust in his creator die in his heart, and abusing his freedom, disobeyed God's command. This is what man's first sin consisted of. All subsequent sin would be disobedience toward God and lack of trust in his goodness. However, God sent a new Adam, his divine son, Jesus, to redeem us from both the original sin committed by our first parents as well as the personal sin we each commit in our own lives through our thoughts, our words, deeds, and omissions. This act of perfect sacrifice by Jesus Christ on the cross shows us the model of how suffering can be redemptive, and it forms the basis for a concept the church knows as the economy of salvation, whereby we recognize God's activity in governing the world, particularly regarding our salvation, won by Christ. When we embrace the mystery of suffering in God's economy of salvation, and when we come to recognize that our pain is actually an invitation to participate with Christ on the cross, we find not only meaning, but even a profound beauty in suffering as it humbles us, purifies us, and conforms us to Christ in a way nothing else could. It can oftentimes be difficult for us to recognize the good that comes from suffering when we are undergoing it, but it is typical typically in those times of suffering when God is refining us the most. Bishop continues, it is important for us to recognize in our suffering that God's will for us always includes mercy and that trust in God involves believing he hope he loves, I'm sorry, let me do that again. Trust in God involves believing he loves us perfectly and that he has compassion for us. However, this can be difficult to realize and accept, especially when there seems to be no relief of the pain, no healing from disease, etc. However, when God provided the ultimate sacrifice, his divine son, this sacrifice covered the whole world with his compassion and his mercy. The suffering of Christ on the cross, our sign of hope and of eternal life, allows us the opportunity to enter into that hope and that promise by uniting our suffering with his and to recognize that within our pain and suffering can be found the immense compassion and mercy of God. How, though, can our suffering become redemptive? The Catechism of the Catholic Church teaches that all suffering can also have a redemptive meaning for the sins of others 
if we unite it to Christ's passion. Christ not only allows himself to be touched by the sick, but he makes their miseries his own. By his passion and death on the cross, Christ has given a new meaning to suffering. It can henceforth configure us to him and unite us with his redemptive passion. Suffering in union with the passion of Christ acquires a new meaning. It becomes a participation in the saving work of Jesus. Beloved, here again, I would like to stop through this letter and uh, give you stories and examples, Um, but um, I want to see, like yesterday, if we can complete this letter in our first half hour, and if we have time, I'll I'll give you the the further uh, expansion that's in my heart, or maybe do that tomorrow. Bishop Joseph Strickland continues, Redemptive suffering is a beautiful and perfect love. We are able to suffer redemptively only through the grace of Christ. You might sometimes hear Catholics say about suffering, offer it up. That is because suffering can have a purpose when it is united with Christ on the cross. It can bring much hope and joy into your life even in the midst of suffering, to know that something beautiful is being brought about from something difficult. The important thing to realize is that redemptive suffering is not something you go through alone. Christ is with you, experiencing it with you. In our suffering, which is offered to Christ, he draws us into himself and into his sacred heart. Offering it up transforms suffering from mystery into love. However, hold on now. Okay, my my apologies. However, when someone is in the midst of deep suffering, it can sound dismissive to tell them to offer it up. We must be empathetic to those who suffer. For it is sometimes difficult to see how suffering can be redemptive when one is in the midst of terrible suffering, or if a child or a loved one is suffering. However, we can pray not only to offer up our own sufferings for the sake of others, but we can pray also that the Lord will use the sufferings of others for their own purification and spiritual growth, even if they cannot see to do it so themselves. All suffering, when united with Christ's suffering, is redemptive. As St. Paul tells us, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ on behalf of his body, which is the church. Christ's sacrifice on the cross was perfect, but what is lacking from his what is lacking from his perfect sacrifice? Only our participation in it. Christ's perfect sacrifice on the cross destroyed death and the eternal effects of sin, and in our suffering united with his, he gives us the power to participate in the salvation that he won for us. There's the music, beloved, for our first break. We'll continue with this when we come after the break. Uh, Come back, and then during the second hour, it'll be our whole half hour for your calls and your um, emails toll-free, 1-877-511-5483. We'll be back. 
Hello, beloved. This is Mother Miriam. How would you like to wake up each morning to inspiring sermons from knowledgeable and faith-filled priests? You can tune in to Sermons for Everyday Living every day at 6 a.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross. You can listen on thestationofthecross.com or anytime on the free iCatholic Radio mobile app. God bless you. Joe McLean here, host of A Catholic Take, heard on the Station of the Cross each weekday morning at 7 a.m. Eastern. A bold synthesis of information and inspiration, keeping you up to date on the news and issues that you may have missed from a courageous Catholic perspective. That's A Catholic Take, weekday morning, 7 a.m., right here on the Station of the Cross and the free iCatholic Radio mobile app. Download it today. God love you. The Station of the Cross is listener-funded, and we value your ongoing generosity. In this fast-paced world, it's easy to let your recurring donation slip due to something like a new address or a card number change. If you suspect that we might not have your up-to-date donor information, you can check with us during regular business hours at 1-877-888-6279, extension 104, or anytime online at thestationofthecross.com. What you're offering and giving to me, you deserve to get back because you're offering more than I can give. I learned so much through the station on the cross. I listen to the radio station daily and I absolutely love it. I was attending the chapel and places like that and through your programs I was able to find out how other Protestants had come back into the Catholic Church. God bless the station of the cross. Donate today at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. I'm live. I'm Mother Miriam, and I'm thrilled to be with you again. Still just audio, but we're working and have some really bright prospects of getting back on video. I'm right in the middle of Bishop Joseph's final letter that he wrote only two days ago. The seventh of his seven letters following his uh, wonderful first letter of August 22nd and outlining seven areas uh, of a potential confusion with the Synod on synodality. And this final letter is on redemptive suffering. And the bishop continues. Suffering can bring a profound loneliness at times. However, it is this loneliness which can cause us to leave out past earthly comfort to the one who calls us to participate in the mystery of suffering with him. Jesus chose to enter into our loneliness by becoming human. He experienced profound loneliness in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he underwent his agony as he prepared for his impending death, and even his disciples did not stay away with him. On the cross, Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? By his passion, Jesus endured the ultimate loneliness in order to fill more loneliness with his presence. And in our suffering, he is profoundly present. 
as disciples of Jesus Christ, we are not called to seek out suffering, but when God allows suffering to come into our lives, we are called to accept the cross he offers us and embrace the work God is performing in our souls as necessary for our purification and sanctification. Although he was sinless, Jesus gave us a perfect model to follow. The writer to the Hebrews says, quote, Surely he did not help angels, but rather the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, he had to become like his brothers in every way, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest before God to expiate the sins of the people. Because he himself was tested through what he suffered, he is able to help those who are being tested. End quote. Jesus beautifully demonstrates this in the Garden of Gethsemane as he says, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Many great saints throughout the ages have also embraced this essential reality of the cross in their lives and have brought us an example of embracing suffering. Pope St. John Paul II, a beautiful apostolic letter, um, Salvafici Dolores, in which he could contemplate the role of suffering in salvation history, including how our Blessed Mother exemplifies what it means to share in Christ's suffering. Quote from, uh, from that document of St. Paul, John Paul II. As a witness to her son's passion by her presence and as a sharer in it by her compassion, Mary offered a unique contribution to the gospel of suffering. She truly has a special title to be able to claim that she completes in her flesh as already in her heart what is lacking in Christ's suffering. End quote from St. John Paul II. Bishop Joseph Strickland continues, St. Gemma Galgani, also known as the Flower of Luca, was a mystic who was born in 1878 in Italy. Throughout her life, she had many mystical experiences. She suffered greatly, and she died of tuberculosis at age 25. She gave this beautiful message on suffering. Quote, Jesus once said to me, Do you know, daughter, for what reason I said crosses the souls dear to me? I desire to possess their souls entirely, and for this I surround with proof, and I enclose them in sufferings and tribulation that they may not escape from my hands, and for this I scatter thorns that souls may be fastened, may fasten their affections upon no one, but find all content in me alone. My daughter, if you do not feel the cross, it cannot be called a cross. Be sure that under the cross you will not be lost. End quote. As we have looked at some basic truths, Bishop Strickland says, of our Catholic faith in this series of pastoral letters, the cooperative and complementary nature of the sacraments as part of God's divine economy of salvation. We have looked at suffering in this letter, therefore, let us now turn to the sacrament 
of the anointing of the sick, sometimes referred to as extreme unction, as we reflect on the cross in our lives, like all the sacraments. Anointing of the sick shows us Christ is present in his church. In this case, he is most present to us as our healing Lord. The very same Jesus who restored sight to the blind man and who healed the woman with the heart is present to suffering souls through the ministry of his priests. And through those priests, our Lord brings healing of body, mind, and spirit in this sacrament. It is important to note, however, that although the sacrament is typically administered to those who are suffering from a serious physical condition, the most important effect of the waiting of the sick is spiritual strengthening, spiritual healing, and forgiveness of sins with other influence through this sacrament. Therefore, although a person who receives this sacrament may receive the cleanse of a physical healing, if that is in alignment with God's will, the individual will always receive the invisible grace of spiritual healing, even if there are no visible signs of physical health. From the Catechism of the Catholic Church, we understand, uh, quote, the special grace of the sacrament of the anointing of the sick has as its effect the uniting of the sick person to the passion of Christ for his own good and that of the whole church. The strengthening peace and courage to endure, endure a Christian in a Christian life, the sufferings of illness or old age. The forgiveness of sins, if the sick person was not able to obtain through the sacrament of penance. The restoration of health, if it is conducive to the salvation of his soul. And finally, the preparation for passing over to eternal life, Catechism 1532. <clears throat> a person does not necessarily have to be close to death in order to receive the anointing of the sick, and this sacrament can be received as many times as is proper throughout a person's life when God's physical and or spiritual healing is sought. For those close to death, a priest can perform a specific set of prayers and sacramental activities known as last rites, which include the sacrament of the anointing of the sick and typically a final reconciliation if possible and a final reception of the if possible, which is known as the Atticum. Before closing, Bishop writes, before closing this discussion on suffering, I would like to state that there are many in the world who suffer for their faith because of attacks by their own government or from others who are hostile to Christ and his church. Our Lord walks especially close to these suffering souls. Let us pray for them constantly. There are many, many saints who stand ready to assist them. Let us pray for their intercession. However, I also want to mention, especially in this time of the Synod on Synodality, that we are in a unique time now, as there are many who are suffering for their faith as they attempt to defend the deposit of faith due to attacks from within the Church herself. Bishop Strickland says, I would call on those who are being persecuted in this manner to remember that they also look in the footprints of Jesus Christ and that there are also 
many saints who have been persecuted by those in Christ's church who should, above all, uphold this truth. Let us all stand firm and not waver. And let us say with St. Antioch, quote, Come, fire and cross and grapplings with wild beasts, wrenching of bones, hacking of limbs, crushing of my whole body. Come, cruel tortures of the devil to assail me. Only be it mine to attain unto Jesus Christ. End quote. In conclusion, Bishop Strickland says, Christ is our example of how to suffer. And he will teach us as we write our sufferings, as we unite our sufferings to his. He promises that his grace is sufficient and available to all. He offers his divine life to us in the midst of our suffering through the sacraments. I urge you, my dear sons and daughters in Christ, attend Mass every Sunday and Holy Day, and strive to attend daily Mass as often as you can. Go to confession frequently, pray the rosary, and call upon the saints for assistance. Rejoice that we can participate in our own redemption and the redemption of the world by denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following him. May Almighty God bless you, and may you receive the strengthening healing, the strengthening healing and perseverance our Lord desires as you offer your sufferings to him. I remain your humble father and servant, most Reverend Joseph E. Strickland, Bishop of Tyler. Oh, beloved, I think our break is going to, going to come in just a minute from now. I'm, I'm so grateful that we were able to get through this letter. It may be the best of all of them. Every letter in my estimation has been better than the one before. Truly, truly, truly beautiful. Um, and I, I pray you will collect them, read them to your family, read them, publish them for your parish, uh, get together in groups and read them and talk about them and pray over them, and that you could be the sort of Christian that Bishop Strickland has outlined, which is just simply to be, to be a disciple of Christ, nothing else, nothing especially heroic, but simply to belong to Christ and be a follower of his. I'll, I'll begin one little story that um, you may have heard before, and if the break comes in between, I'll complete it after the break. There was a man that came to our Lord, and he said, I want to live for you, but my cross is too heavy. I, I can't bear it. I cannot handle it. And I have a smaller one. And uh, Jesus said, of course, of course. So we took him into a huge room with just four walls, and the walls were covered with crosses of all styles and sizes. The man spent as much time as he could in that room and picked out the tiniest cross he could find. And he said to our Lord, could I have that one? And Jesus said to him, of course, it's yours. That's the one you gave back to me. You see, dear ones, Jesus knows the cross we can carry. And he gives us the strength and grace to do it. We'll be right back after the break. Call in with anything on your heart, toll free 1-877-511-5483 or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. We'll be right back. 
Atheists claim they don't need God to be a good person, implying God's not relevant to morality. But is this true? Well, atheists can be good in the sense of knowing behaviors that respect the goods of human nature and living accordingly. St. Paul acknowledges this natural moral law in Romans chapter 2. But this doesn't mean God is irrelevant when it comes to morality. And here's the reason. Besides God's grace being necessary to live the moral law perfectly and merit heaven, God is necessary for the law to be morally binding. How can the moral law be binding if there's no moral law giver behind it that surpasses human authority? The answer is, it can't. So, an atheist can follow the natural moral law, but only the theist is consistent in saying that such a law is morally obligatory. I'm Corlo Broussard with the ready reason for Catholic Answers, catholic.com. The Station of the Cross began broadcasting in Buffalo, New York in 1999. Since then, our listening areas have multiplied and expanded into several states. While our mission is to grow the Catholic faith through radio and other media outlets, our apostolate is supportive of but independent from your local diocese. Through your generosity, we are able to inspire countless listeners with the gospel and help lead them to a parish to be spiritually nourished by the sacraments. Station of the Cross has many ways to keep you informed about our programming. You can view the highlights of our primetime programming schedule or the full 24-7 programming grid at both thestationofthecross.com or the free iCatholic Radio app. Just search under the programming tab. Our website also offers a printable version for your convenience. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. Um, we have a whole half hour all to ourselves ahead of us. Our lines are wide open. You are free to call in at one 877 5483 or email your mother at the Uh Okay, we have an email from Rachel. Rachel says, Hello, Mother Miriam. I hope you are well. I am, Rachel. Thank you. May God bless you abundantly for your truth and love you are bringing to this world. I love your show here in Kelowna, Kelowna, Canada. Uh, Rachel, of course, it's not my truth. It's God's truth. Um, she writes, we are traditional Catholics who attend weekly Mass at a TLM, that is traditional Latin Mass, and are so grateful for it. My question is this. Our son is 19 and is a faithful Catholic attending Mass with us. Lately, he has been following an Orthodox priest whom he really respects. He was asking me about why they are in schism and if they believe basically the same things as Catholics. Then is their salvation intact? And if not, then why? I tried to explain to him about apostolic succession but I feel I did not give a good enough explanation. 
and you kindly explain this for us. Thank you from British Columbia, Canada, Rachel. Rachel, um, the Orthodox split um, happened in, I want to say 1058. I'd have to look up the exact year, but about a thousand years ago. And um, they uh, basically, it was largely a political matter, but also they would not recognize the papacy and they would not recognize what they call the filioque clause, that is, that the both the Son and the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit rather um, proceeds from the Father and the Son. They only believe it proceeds from the Father. So um, there was a theological split, also some political issues, and it has been, as St. John Paul II has described, the two lungs of the Church. When they split, the bishops that went, that that left the church, the left under the authority of the Pope, of the papacy, um, they had uh, validly ordained bishops with them. And so their sacraments have been valid ever since. And the priests they ordain are valid priests. So it's valid. And to receive sacraments from them is valid. But the church says to do that only if there's not a Catholic church near you. Uh, and there's no way for you to get to a Catholic church than go to an Orthodox because the, the sacrament is valid. Um, if you want to study it further, tell your son, Rachel, to go to catholic.com. I don't remember the title of it, but there's a wonderful book by Father... Um, Ryland, R-Y-L-A-N-D. He's no longer alive. He came, as, as, as my memory is certainly right, from from the Orthodox side and wrote a wonderful book. And he, of course, he came into full union with the Catholic Church. Um, and he wrote a wonderful book on, um, uh, on the split, on its history, uh, all of that. Um, so... I would not encourage your son to go into uh, orthodoxy um, concerning the orthodox church because he will be separated uh, from the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Uh, And the the sacraments are valid, but um, he needs to... um, uh, he needs to be in union with the papacy and the church, even though we're in terrible shape today. Uh, he needs to stay within the Catholic Church. If he has found a very holy, wonderful uh, Orthodox priest that he really respects, he can certainly meet with that priest, get his wisdom, all of that. But I would, um, I would urge him to stay in the Catholic Church and read everything he can online about the uh, Catholic Orthodox split and and the differences in faith today. And again, you can go to catholic.com and get uh, solid um, books on that. Okay, let me see now. Um, We have an email from someone who writes it anonymously and says, hello again. I am a young male college student who transferred to a very radically Catholic university where this school is faith-based in everything they do. Well, 
blessed be God, what is radically Catholic is simply Catholic. Oh, traditional Catholic, red treads, all of that, they're just Catholic. It's reason they're so solid is because they haven't changed or jettisoned any of the faith. They believe it. Um, um, And he says, before attending, I had gone through a lot of turmoil where I tried to discern what God willed for me from trying to belong to certain friend groups, thinking that I could be successful by manipulating the situation. I'll never think that to work with my high school marching band program shortly after graduation several years ago, all the way to playing paintball with friends only to lose interest after a few years. I have no understanding of how I could find my purpose if all of my past activities were fading out because these past hobbies and activities made up my identity where I would get I'm sorry, where I would get a clear picture of who I am as a son of God when engaging in them. I turned to prayer a few months ago, asking God the question of what he wanted to do with me and why my identity was being stripped, where I desperately begged him to take control of my life from my career to the people I spend time with, all to lead me to sainthood, because I felt that God did not speak. I started to lose faith. Shame on you. Shame on you. You know, right in the middle of this sentence, it's not that I don't have compassion. We just read a letter on suffering. But shame on you. When we pray and God doesn't seem to answer, um, we need to trust that he's the God who he says he is. The one who died for us on the cross. If you lose your faith, then you can conclude You are speaking to a God of your own making, not the God who lives. The God who lives put his son to death for you on the cross. And Jesus said, if possible, let the cup pass from me. But the Father did not let the cup pass from him. And this gentleman says, because I felt that God did not speak, he didn't speak when Jesus was on the cross either. Jesus said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So this gentleman says, because I felt that God did not speak, I started to lose faith where I would believe that he was not working in my life, which resulted in my faith being severely weakened, later resulting in how I would then live in the world of it and for it. It simply means, dear one, that your faith was the faith of those who threw seeds to plant a field and they landed on rock and the birds came and ate them. There was no true deep faith. He continues, as of today in college, I am thriving in my studies, but still currently lack an understanding of what God is doing. My question for you is, how would one know that God has placed something or someone in their life? And how does one discover God's will if they are desperate to find it? I want to tell you, dear brother, you have not been desperate to find it. You have been desperate for God to do what you want in the way you want it. This gentleman goes on to say, does he deliver his will to our doorstep and we respond? No. Or do we have to actively search for it? Neither necessarily is true. My my spiritual director said... um, 
that my calling is to live in the present moment, fulfilling present responsibilities. That's exactly true. But I really have no clue of what God wills for me now and the future and how I can come to a clear understanding of that. Thank you for your response. I truly appreciate hearing from you. And God bless Anonymous. Well, your spiritual director is correct. Um, We need to live now where we are and fulfill our responsibilities and be faithful to where God has placed us now. You say, how do I know God placed me here? Because you are there. I have two books for you to read. Uh, One is titled Trustful Surrender to God's Providence. Trustful Surrender to God's Providence. And um, the second one is How to Know God's Will or Knowing God's Will by St. Francis de Sales. Knowing God's Will by St. Francis de Sales. St. Francis gives an outline of seven points in there. Nothing miraculous, just the path that God would take us to know his will, living in this world, and my dear brother, not being of it. I need you to trust the fact that up till now, your faith has been self-centered and shallow. If we turn from God because he doesn't seem to answer us, then again, it's not God we have a trust in. It's ourselves, and we're hoping for what we want, not what God wants. So those two books, um, Trustful Surrender to Divine Providence, and um, the other one is Knowing God's Will, or How to Know God's Will, something like that, by St. Francis de Sales. There's another book on also How to Know God's Will by um, Alphonse Liguori. Read those three books and pray before God um, to, if, if you ask God to show you his will, he may bring you to a point of desolation because unless you learn how to trust him, you're never going to know what his will is. You're never going to be willing to follow him into his will. Jesus wanted God's will, the Father's will, and he wound up on the cross because that was God's will. And so all the saints who have suffered, we just read the quote before the break from St. Ignatius, if we want God's will, we need to love him deeply and trust him even in the silence. Okay, God bless you, my dear brother, and I pray that um, you, your spiritual director will help you further into a deep relationship and trust of our, uh, of our blessed Lord. Um, we have a caller on the line, Richard from Seattle. Hi, Richard. Hi, Mother. Um, uh, thanks for taking my call. And just um, real brief, before I give you my question, I just want to say thank you for the blessing you are to all of us. You're kind of the, 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 the sanity in an unseen world, and um, oh, your, your, you. your voice is, is beautiful, and your and your faithfulness to God is, is so encouraging. It's kind of like a spiritual, it's kind of like our vitamin pill for the day, <laughs> if you will. Uh-huh. Um, uh, Richard, I true that really encourages my heart. Thank you so much. God bless you, dear one. Oh, okay, go ahead now. Mother. So here's here's my question. So just a couple of days ago, um, I was at a, at, a, at a funeral at a Jesuit parish, and I went up to oh. receive the Lord, and I knelt down, and they would not, the priest would not give me um, the communion on the tongue. So my question is. Is that just a is that just a sacrifice that that I offer up, or should I be trying to um, I don't know write the bishop 
uh, of the diocese, even though it's a religious order parish within the diocese. Oh, just what is the proper response for that situation? I, 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 I just would like your thoughts on that. Well, Richard, dear, the proper response is that that priest should be disciplined because he is going against the church. You know that communion on the tongue is not an exception. It is the norm. Communion in the hand is the exception. So shame on that priest and on the religious order that allows him to refuse you communion on the tongue. Uh, Let me answer further, Rich. Can you stay on the line through the break? Oh, of course. Thank you. Okay. Okay, good. And, beloved, when we come back from the break, we'll have one segment, about 10 minutes, and you're welcome to call in. There'll still be time, toll-free, 1-877-511-5483, or email at mother at com. We'll be right back after the break and continue with Richard from Seattle. guaranteed five freedoms in the First Amendment. Freedom of speech. Freedom of religion. Freedom of the press. Freedom to peacefully assemble. Freedom to petition the government. Only the United States has these five freedoms so simply bound together and guaranteed. Think first. Learn more at thinkfirstamendment.org. Hear a powerful sermon you need to share with a loved one? Maybe there's a guest, prayer, or teaching segment that deserves another listen. You can listen to any of our network-produced programs at your convenience by finding us wherever you enjoy podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podbean, and the free iCatholic Radio app. Be uplifted in your faith. Listen today at thestationofthecross.com or on your favorite podcasting platform. The question that's being asked, does the canon law society have the authority to treat deaconesses? And no, in every language, yet, and no. <laughs> now, in the early church, we used to call them deaconesses first because they were wives of deacons. They would call them deaconess. There was a deaconess not for being a priest or being ordained, nor any kind of work of administration, but for the sake of dignity for the female sex, either in the time of baptism or examining the sick or the suffering or preparing female bodies for burial. They were never to administer the rites of the Eucharist. So the Council of Trent taught there were three sacred orders, bishops, priests, and deacons. You can't have a deaconess the same way you can have a woman priest. It is illicit and it is a wrong thing to do. It should be so disobedient to the laws of God and the church. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to the Station of the Cross and Mother Miriam Live. I'm thrilled to be with you. I mentioned before the break, this would be our final segment and uh, about 10 minutes. Um, and you're welcome to call in again with anything on your heart, toll free, one 511 5483 or email 
at mother at the station of the cross.com. Um, we're on the phone with Richard from Seattle, who had a very distressing situation. He was at a funeral this week and knelt to receive communion, and the priest refused to give it to him on the tongue, and he's wondering what he should do. Are you there, dear Richard? I am, Mother. Thank you. Good. There's no formula of what you should do. Um, you could uh, speak to the priest directly. You could speak to the superior of the religious order. I, I don't want you to get anywhere those two, in those two situations. You could um, go to the bishop. If you go to the bishop, let the superior of the order know that you're going to the bishop. Just say to him, this is not church teaching. Meet with him as a sheep, not, not argumentative. Just show him church teaching. You'll find it. Go to the canon, um, canon law of the church on the Vatican's website, and you will find that communion on the tongue is the norm and must not be refused to anyone. You can print that out and show it to the priest um, and or if he doesn't agree to the superior. And if the superior proposes it, or doesn't agree, then you need to say to him, um, dear father, um, I'm going to take this to the bishop. I want you to know in advance. I will copy you on anything I write to the bishop. And then you go to the bishop. However, um, based on the bishop, he may not also respect the faith. It depends on who the bishop is. Um, and so you may be left, the bishop may agree with you, but may not want to start a fire or disagreements or stand up for the faith. Um, if that's the case, dear Richard, you're on your own. You can either receive communion in the hand or just not receive communion. Um, were it me, um, I would not receive communion. I have not received communion in the hand and I can't bear the thought of it. So, um, you just, in, in my mind, you would just refuse. There's little right or wrong. It's up to you. But it's a sacrilege in the hand. And so I would just refuse communion, period. And um, know that I'll go to my Latin Mass and receive communion, and I just won't receive it at the funeral. Um, that's what I would do, dear Richard. Okay. Um, can I say one last what, what, last yes, thing for that no information? Uh, Mother, I just want to say thank you so much. You persevere um, to be on the program through your challenges and especially your internet issues. And, you know, even when we just hear your voice, you know, that is good enough. So I just thank you for, you. I, we don't even know all the things and obstacles that you go through, but just the little tiny slivers that we, we are aware of, you know, you're just like the, you know, you're just like the, the, the train, the, the story. I think I can, I think I can. You, you just, you keep going and, and, and being there for us. So thank you so much. Um, you're, you're just, you're just, as, as I said, at the beginning of my phone call, you're this, you're this uh, voice of, of sanity for all of us in the church when um, it's we just don't get a lot of it. So thank you for just well, um, my, my dear Richard. Not only do not only are your words so oh, but the fact is that uh, the, the the underlying everything is that I, after all these years, still cannot get over that I believe in God and that I love him, and that I know him, and that I'm in his church. And to me, a million eternities would not be sufficient to thank him. And the only thing we can give is what he's given us. So I am 
privileged for every second he allows me to be on the air. And and your words are, are music and a sweet comfort to my heart, Richard. God bless you, dear brother, and thank you so much. God bless you, Mother. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you, sweetheart. We have an email from Peter who says, Is it true that Jewish people have more than Ten Commandments? Yes. So, why is that the case? How does the Jewish faith differ from Catholicism in the ways that the Ten Commandments are instituted? The Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, Peter, are the commandments for everybody. Everybody. A Jewish, non-Jewish, everybody. But there are more than Ten Commandments. Um, uh, there, uh, there are at least, if you read Exodus chapter 20, there are at least 14, at least. And the Jewish people have put together in one set, the, the Catholics through St. Augustine have put them together in a different, um, not a different order, but a different breakdown. And the uh, Protestants have still a third breakdown. But it's all from Exodus chapter 20, and it's all in the same order. It's a, qu- it's a question of how it's broken up. Everyone believes the same thing. But for example, that um, in the Jewish 10, um, the first statement of God, uh, in, in, let's say our Catholic, would say, I'm the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods before me. In the Jewish breakdown, they stop at, I am the Lord your God. And you shall have no other gods before me is the second commandment. I am the Lord your God. So in the Jewish breakdown, the first statement is not a commandment. It is a statement. I am the Lord your God. That is why God separated the Jewish people from the rest of the world and all the pagan idols and worship to say to them, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods but before me. Get used to this. I am the Lord your God. And um, every time he punished them, every time he drew them away from marrying, intermarrying, uh, all through the Torah, the first five books, I am the Lord your God. That's what he wants because he took Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldeans and and his Abraham's parents, when his first Abram, then his name was changed to Abraham, Abram's parents from the line of Mary through Seth through Noah, uh, they were idol worshippers. And God pulled Abraham out of that idol worshipping pagan society. Abraham wasn't a Jew. The Jewish people hadn't even begun yet. The first Jew wasn't a Jew. Abraham came out among them and he had faith. And God set him apart and said, through your through your seed, Abraham, all the nations of the world will be blessed. So Abraham is definitely the father of the Jewish people through the line of Isaac, not Ishmael. So all of them up until Christ. But um, so again, on the Jewish commandments, the first one is I am the Lord your God. Get that through your heads. There are no other gods. If you want a more complete explanation of that, go to uh, Peter, go to catholic.com and just type into this search bar, which always comes up on top, um, various editions uh, um, uh, or various breakdown of the Ten Commandments. Um, there's a wonderful article in there by Father Hugh Barber, uh, who's a prior of the Norbertines in California, 
um, and was my spiritual director when I was in California. Very beautiful, holy priest. Many articles that will help you further. Okay. Um, we are just about up against uh, the end of the program. Um, and um, uh, let me see. I've got, got a question, couple of questions here that I'm not sure how to answer. So I'll have to look them to get them to you tomorrow um, and I will do that God bless you everyone be faithful uh, don't go against your conscience but be sure that your conscience needs to be informed with the true teaching of the church because your conscience tells you for example that abortion under any circumstances is permissible your conscience is wrong and will lead you to hell your conscience must be informed. So when you believe something, check it again. The Catechism of the Catholic Church, hopefully the, Cal- the Council of Trent, the Catechism explained. And then you can follow God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. God bless you. God willing, we'll speak with you tomorrow.